every day is so wonderful and suddenly it's hard to breathe now and then i get insecure from all the pain i'm so ashamed i am beautiful no matter what they say words can bring me I am beautiful in every single way Words can't bring me down, oh no So don't you bring me down today Welcome to Mondays with Millie, a podcast about the past with real relevance to the present day. I'm your host, Phil Cristofaro, and in this podcast series... I interview my 90-year-old mother-in-law, Doreen, who I affectionately call Millie, about her ordinary life and the extraordinary events which influenced it. Millie has witnessed firsthand some incredible things across 10 decades. This is a personal history which gives us some perspective about life's triumphs and challenges. No matter what they say, words can bring you down. are beautiful in every single way yes words can bring you down oh no so don't you bring me down today welcome to episode four season seven of mondays with millie in episode four christopher is in command of hms bulwark and millie enjoys a guided tour paul moves to scotland a long way from st anne's on sea and she misses him greatly. Please enjoy this episode of Mondays with Millie. On the other side, because we are beautiful no matter what they say. Yes, words can bring us down. We are beautiful no matter what they say. Words can bring us down. No, oh, oh. So don't you bring me down today. Ooh, 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 ooh. Bring me down today. So what? Yeah. What else was happening? family during this particular decade um Um, i'm trying to think well of course christopher was at sea most of the time then um he um trying to the last well the last he was on so many ships the last ship he was on of course was uh in command of the bulwark while it was it was in uh while it was being actually finished off in in barrow Barrowing furnace, and it was there for fit, uh, fitting out and everything. And he was there for, I think, it's about six months, possibly more, with the bulwark. I know we, uh, John and I, went. We, we both visited before he became too ill. We both visited the bulwark, and um, it was quite exciting, really. Amazing ship. 
But we went on the top deck and I, I remember saying, oh, what a very good idea having a toilet on, on board, you know, on the top deck, because obviously it would be a long way to go down several decks to go to the toilet. And Christopher just looked at me and he went, uh, no, Mum, it, it isn't a toilet. It was just like one of these portable loos, you see. He said, it's our escape route <laughs> in an emergency. <laughs> so there was a sort of a chute inside it, you know, so you could get right down and get off the ship quickly. <laughs> I did feel a bit stupid. Well, it's a good thing that you didn't try and use it as a toilet. <laughs> that would have been quite adventurous, couldn't it? Man overboard. It would, yeah. Mm. It would, yeah. 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 Yeah, and then, uh, and didn't you didn't you go on the uh, bulwark? Well, I think they had. Was it the? I think it was when they launched the ship, because Alex was yeah. about eight or nine, I think. Yes. And Flynn was about five. Oh no, he might have been about four then, four or five. And we went along. I remember he had someone. Someone passed Flynn a. Um, a rifle, one of the, yeah. the guards passed Flynn a rifle and his eyes just nearly popped out of his head. It's a very interesting ship, wasn't it? Because, of course, um, they had they, they had Marines on board as well, 40 Marines, and they had the two landing craft which they carried. You know, the back of the ship opened out and um, the landing craft were sort of stored there. <laughs> So they sailed with them, you see. Mm, that's right. Yeah. Inside the enclosure of the ship. Mm. Yes, I'm afraid I'm not very good at describing things like that, but um, I suppose there's an official uh, name for it. But uh, they, they carried landing craft. It was, uh, uh, you know, designed for that purpose. Mm. Oh, and, of course, they had helicopters as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it was very interesting. And then, of course, that's the last time that Christopher was at sea because after that he um, went on to some um, shore appointments, a number of shore appointments until he retired, you know, mm. after that. Mm. What was Paul doing, I think? What year did he retire from the police force? Oh, dear. Well, let me see. He was 53 when he retired, so... It would be 2003. Oh, wow, that long ago. When he re yes. Mm. And um, and then he, uh, after after a couple of years, he uh, they went to live in Scotland because I know the last time John and I kept, went together to Australia, we came back in the January, of course. We'd had that Christmas visit and been to New Zealand and you know whenever I came home because we always stayed away for six weeks didn't we and mm. whenever I came home he was always either at the house to greet us or if he was on duty he would drop in you know within a short time of arriving home and um oh it was it felt terrible because he wasn't there he'd, he'd moved to Scotland while we were away um, you didn't know that that was ha going to happen? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. 
I knew that they were looking for somewhere um, and I knew that the house would be quickly sold because it was quite nice, the house he had in Lytham. And, um, but I didn't realise that it was going to be so quick. And uh, so they, they'd moved the week before we came home. They had to move because, of course, they'd sold their house and they had to, they had to leave, you know. Hmm. Uh, and I did miss him dreadfully, but anyway... You know, we have to move on, don't we? Mm. We have to go with the flow. Absolutely. We sure do. Um, so they bought quite a big place in Kilmany, the old station yes. house. What what what's the history behind that? Well that the old station the old station house, um um in the sixties of course. Uh, they started to close down some of the smaller lines, railway lines, and that was one of them. It was a shame because it was the last station before you went over the bridge uh, into the northern part, of, you know, into Dundee, you see. And um, it was the last station there, and so they diverted. And um, now, and then, of course, uh, it was the house was extended twice before. Paul and Sylvie bought it. It was a station master's house, very nice house. Uh, and what it used to be the the platform of the station, uh, farther along, they built three bungalows uh, on the opposite side. So it's just a private road now. You'd never you'd never dream there'd ever been a, a railway there. What did Paul do with himself? at the tender age of 53 and retired from the police? Well, he, he, he only retired on health grounds, really, because he injured his knee quite badly. In fact, it's it's really in a mess. And they operated and they couldn't put it right. And they said he'd have to have a, a new knee when he was 60, but they didn't want to do it before then because they don't, you know, they can only do them once. And otherwise, it wouldn't last him long enough. And um, so uh, they retired him on health ground. Well, they, first of all, they offered him a, um, a desk job. And he said, no, no, I can't. I don't want that. I can't cope with that. And uh, so they said, well, he'd have to retire, which he did. But he's still, still training dogs, as you know, to this day, you know. And he'll be he'll be seventy in August, but he's still working training dogs. Um, he set so, up uh, quite a quite a a good little business, and for himself, didn't he? Up there, um, on the grounds of that property, it's quite well suited to to having dogs. He's got quite a big yard, and um, oh, you... but he doesn't train the dogs there. No, he he, he rents the strawberry fields. Uh, the strawberry fields are nearby where you can go and pick your own strawberries and they have a field at the side and they rent that to him on a Sunday. He does classes there on a Sunday. Mm. How many dogs and has it's... he got now? <laughs> he's got 11 dogs. You see, the problem is he's really, you know, and all except one of them are rescue dogs that come from all over the place, from different parts of Europe, some of them. Well, most of them, and um, 
he uh, instead of you know they're all dogs that are, uh, have had a very hard life very you know really been ill treated and really instead of just getting them right you know getting them well and then finding a good home for them by that time of course they're so attached to them that they keep them but um, <clears throat> five of them now are very elderly these dogs six of them are you know about three or four years old I think perhaps four or five years old and uh, I know one of them is 13 years old now Mariska she's lovely she came from the Orkneys she was rescued from the Orkneys and um, so yeah so he can't afford to retire can he with all these dogs to keep and of course they need the vet bills and all sorts of things apart from the cost of feeding them, you know. So, um, well, he loves it. He absolutely loves it, though, doesn't he? he well, he does. Yes, and of course, his wife yeah. does as well. You see. So that's Paul's second wife, of course, Sylvia. She wasn't involved at all in his life before his divorce. She wasn't involved. You know, it was. He met her later. But. Um, He's coming down to see me anyway in Ju uh, next month, in July. He's going to come down and see me, so that's good. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Yes. So, so um, when Paul moved up to the station house at Kelmany and got himself sorted out with a new job and or a new business, did you know that was going to make him happy or did you get a feeling that that was going to be a, a really good move for him oh yes yes I think so yes I think so um he mind you his his knee is really in a, a shocking state he should have had this operation oh a few years ago and he never got it you know and now it it wasn't it wasn't the right time he said oh he he couldn't be doing it, it he, he couldn't be afford to be laid off for a couple of months you know and uh, there were things to do and uh, and now of course goodness knows when he's going to get this operation so um his, his mobility isn't all that good but he he still manages hmm. well he's he's had to manage it for nearly the last well probably the last 20 years what what happened to his knee to get him how did he injure it? Oh well, it was um, uh, it was climbing over a, a fence actually, <clears throat> chasing a burglar. Mm. He was with Zach when it happened, and um, he uh, he landed very awkwardly on his knee, and it just smashed it, you know. So um, was that nothing that we can do? Was that the time where he was? unconscious and hanging upside down was that that time oh <laughs> oh no that was years before that was when he was down in kent <laughs> oh yes that was crazy crazy you know he used to have crazy accidents he was very accident prone uh, i think he was noted for that no he'd only been in kent um a very oh i think about a week perhaps a fortnight he didn't know the area very well it was his first night on nights 
and he he saw these two guys trying to get into Marks and Spencer's at the back, you see. So he chased them and he saw them go over this bridge and jump over the wall. And uh, he didn't realise that they knew where they were jumping. They were jumping onto, um, you know, the, the, the embankment, you see, and climbing down. And he jumped on. And the next thing was he overbalanced. Fortunately, his leg caught. It was, um, they had iron railings and they were bent. The, the railings were bent in this particular spot. He caught his ankle in it and finished up hanging upside down over this embankment. And um, I think about 30 feet probably more below was the railway line, the main rail, railway line into London, which was electrified, of course. And uh, we didn't find out till later, of course, about this, but they'd had to switch the electric off, this electric line. The fire brigade came and... Um, Someone saw this foot sticking up and he kept blacking out because he was upside down, you see. And um, he said he was terrified. He could see the moon, the full moon, shining on these silver lines below him. Um, anyway, they uh, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was crazy. It was a crazy accident. Hmm. He's very lucky. So he was very lucky. Oh, he yeah. was lucky, yes. They had to put a harness round him before they could release him because, you know, he'd have fallen, you see. So, but wasn't he lucky that that was the only point where the iron railings were bent towards each other and his foot went through them, you see. Otherwise, he'd have just gone over the top. Yeah. But that, he was very young when that happened, you know. He's still in his 20s. Mm. But... um we didn't find that about that until we went down for his wedding in Kent, and that his um, his sergeant that was invited to the wedding he told us what had happened, you know. But Paul hadn't hadn't told us, you know. He kept that quiet. <laughs> well, he probably was a bit embarrassed about it, but um, I'm sure he was. But, but we won't worry about that now, will we? We'll just, no, no. We, we can... <laughs> <coughs> yeah. Um, so were there any other things that happened sort of through that period that stand out for you? Chris and, and, uh, Gillian had moved to, to St. Anne's, of course. Uh, so I was kept occupied afterwards. I, I used to go and pick Alex up and, uh, pick him up from school or take him to school or something, you know, Gillian was working at the time. And um, what what year did they buy that place in St Anne's? Opposite Clifton Gardens, wasn't it? Yes. Well, um, Alex was three years old then, and he's twenty seven now. So that's quite a way off, isn't it? Mm. Um, well, twenty four years ago, nearly twenty five years ago now. Mm. Um, and they lived there until uh, last year, didn't they? Mm, yeah. Stayed there a long time. A beautiful but house. But it was in a too. nice position. Mm. It was, yes. A lovely position overlooking the park. Mm. It must have been nice to have them living so close to you. And you obviously got to spend a lot of time with Alex. 
through that period? I did. Yes, I did. Yeah. And of course, he was at Arnold School for 15 years. Can you believe it? From the age of three, when he was went into the nursery and a little nursery that opened until he left at 18. What a long time, isn't it, to spend in one place? Yeah. So was that that a a routine? You you picked him up from school every day? Oh, no, no, not every day. Only certain days when Jill Jill wasn't working or she she had a meeting or something like that, you know. No, no, not every day. Just when required. Mm. What was your relationship with Alex like when he was... A young lad in primary school, and oh, we were close. We were close. Um, he, he, you know, he loved um, 007. He thought it, we always had to play 007, and uh, we used to have some really crazy times. Really, um, it, it happened, and I remember one time, uh, John came in, and we were in my bedroom, and. Um, I was sat on top of the chest of drawers and Alex was stood on the bed with a gun firing, you know, all over the place. And John came and he said, what on earth's going on? And and Alex said, oh, Grandad, Grandad, you're, you're in the water. You'll have to get out of the water. The shark's there, you know. <laughs> and he was supposed to be rescuing me from this island, which was the chest of drawers which I was sat on top of. And I had to jump from the chest of drawers onto the bed. <laughs> all, we had all these crazy games, you know. <clears throat> he had a vivid imagination. So you had one grandchild who was 007 <laughs> and another one who was um, uh, singing in the in the clubs, doing the clubbing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Flynn was quite normal, really. <laughs> he was, he was, he was, um, he wasn't good. At, you wouldn't find him. He was probably more of, he would have been more inclined to be a 007 than he would have been to, than he would have yeah. sung. He didn't like singing, did he? Not so much. Mm. Yes. Well, the gun that that Alex loved was, it was actually a starting pistol. Uh, which had been in our family since I was a, a small child. I don't know where it came from, really. And it was quite decorative, small silver starting pistol. Uh, but it was it was very realistic, you see. And in the end, uh, Christopher decided that he liked this gun too much, so it would have to disappear. And he, he took the gun. I don't know what he did with it, but he got rid of it, you know. <laughs> a starting pistol that looked like a real gun. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Wow. Wow. So, uh, like a revolver. It was a revolver, you see. Mm. So, yes, Christopher decided, really, you know, we'd have to find something else to play with because he was was getting that he really liked this gun. I remember one night, of course, he, he, um, we were going out, we were were going out to a, a, a meeting and uh, at that time, John was the president of the Yorkshire Association in St. Anne's, and we were going to this meeting, and of course he used to wear this regalia, a bit like the mayor's chain, you know, and um, 
we'd had Alex in the afternoon and he went home. Well, Gillian picked him up. And then later on, I came to get ready to go out and the keys were missing from all three wardrobes. Couldn't get into the wardrobe to get my clothes. Couldn't get the chain out or anything. And I looked all over the place. Anyway, I phoned, I phoned Gillian and I said, can you ask Alex if he's seen the wardrobe keys? And uh, he came back, oh, yes, yes, I'd put them away safely. And I said, well, I need the keys to go out. Why did you do that? And he said, well, he said, you're going out, you might get burglared, you know. <laughs> I wouldn't, he said, I wouldn't want them to take your jewels. <laughs> so, so he'd, he'd hidden the keys. He told me where he'd hidden them, you know. He had, he had um, protective instincts. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, I don't know what jewels he thought I had, but unless he was thinking about Grandad's chain, because he did used to put that on sometimes, you know. Yes, wear the chain. <laughs> yeah. Every day is so wonderful And suddenly it's hard to breathe Now and then I get insecure From all the pain I'm so ashamed I am beautiful No matter what they say Words can bring me single way words can bring me down oh no so don't you bring me down today and that concludes episode 4 season 7 of Mondays with Millie in the next episode the fellowship is broken when Kirsten's sabbatical comes to an end we look forward to your so company your again next week so consumed in all your doom trying hard to feel the emptiness the peace is gone left the puzzle undone is that the way it is you are beautiful no matter what they say words can bring you down oh no beautiful in every single way yes words can bring you down oh no so don't you bring me down today no matter what we do no matter what we say with a song inside the tune full of beautiful mistakes and everywhere we go Mondays with Millie is an e-learn production, editing and dodgy guitar work by yours truly, Phil Christofaro, vocal work by Millie's granddaughter, Neve. What they say, yes words can bring us down, we are beautiful no matter what they say, 
Words can bring us down. Oh, oh, oh. So don't you bring me down today. Ooh.